Broadcasting live from the Phoenix Business Radio X studio in Tempe, Arizona, you are tuning in to Culture Crush with Kendra Maples. This podcast will dive into a variety of companies that are crushing it with a great company culture. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us on another episode of the Culture Crush Business Podcast. On this podcast, we focus on everything surrounding businesses with a good company culture. We do a deep dive into companies that are crushing it with a great culture, and then we also bring in those tools and those resources to help improve culture as well. So today, I am extremely excited for the two of you. I am very intentional about the matches that I make and matching these conversations in a way that I think is really just going to blossom and and provide a good conversation based around culture. And I think the two of you are going to be really awesome. So I'll introduce the two of you. And then I want each of you to tell us a little bit about you, yourself, your company, how you got to where you are. So I'll start with you. We have Jonathan Kaiser, founder of Kaiser. So welcome. And then in a second, you're going to talk. Thank you. I, I really like that music that you had leading in. That's so, well, I talk and you have that kind of in the background. Just keep <laughs> right? I feel it's, it is very, and my colleague who did the voice behind it, he's like, it's like such a Energetic, strong, positive yeah. and strong. <laughs> I like it all. I'm fired up. Let's yes. roll. Awesome. I love it. And then our other guest today is April Sprintz. Uh, founder and business accelerator of Driven Outcomes. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Yes, I'm excited for both of you. So, um, Jonathan, let's start with you. I want to hear about you. Tell us about you and you know how you started Kaiser, and and we'll dive into the other stuff later. But don't feel like you have to give this in like three seconds. Like, really, tell us about how much you. time do you want me to utilize? <laughs> you take what you think you need. Well, it's it, it, it's fun to be back on again. Thanks for having me back on, and uh, means I guess I didn't screw up too bad the first few times. But um, or they've forgotten, or they just for, <laughs> it's been so long they've just forgotten, which is probably true. Um, but I had a very unusual upbringing. For those who don't know us, um, I was raised a Christian missionary kid in Papua New Guinea, and my parents taught me to love and serve and give and help and all those good things that we all teach our kids. And then I came back from overseas and uh, I realized that my parents, which included me because I was attached at the hip to my parents, were very poor and I didn't like being poor. So I decided at a young age that I wanted to be rich, but I didn't know how I was going to get there. I just knew I wanted to get there. I kind of stumbled into commercial real estate uh, after going to UCLA, thinking that you know, that this would be a good path because a friend of mine said you could get rich doing it. I got into commercial real estate. I realized pretty quickly, wow, this is a take no prisoners, dog eat dog, cutthroat environment. But hey, my parents obviously didn't have it right because they're broke. And these people are driving, you know, very, very nice cars, living in nice houses, taking great vacations. I want that. So I became ruthless, um, but I was miserable, as you can imagine. I was misaligned with my core values, but I felt trapped because I didn't know a different way. And then 20 years ago, I went to a conference and a guy gets up and starts talking about a different way of doing business. And it moved and inspired me and, and caused me to think, I wonder if I could do the same thing. And I wonder if I could do it in commercial real estate in Arizona. And uh, so that started the path of reinvention. And today we've created one of the largest independent firms of our kind in the country all around this idea of success through selfless service and cultures, everything. So we have 15 core operating principles that we built our culture very intentionally on that came out of my white space visioning efforts of what could be possible in this industry if I was going to do it the way that I thought was the best way. So, you know, now we're, you know, with our international partners, we have about 570 people worldwide. USA Today named us the industry disruptor. And I actually wrote a book about the whole thing, which is sitting there behind me called You Don't Have to Be Ruthless to Win, that talks about my story, broke missionary kid to uh, to now entrepreneur leading a, uh, a game-changing commercial real estate firm. So it's always fun for me to come on and talk about culture because culture is the reason for our success. It's not an ancillary thing. It, it is the, the very fundamental core of who we are and what we stand for. Absolutely, it is. How does it feel? You said you were named the industry disruptor. That's such a rad thing to be like referred to. How does that feel? I don't like it. 
How does that go? It's kind of fun, you know, because it's a big industry. But, you know, I think there's just this need. I, I think there's a need and a deep understanding of this need for cultural transformation in our industry. So when I had the epiphany to start my own firm, part of it came with this recognition that not only is commercial real estate this cutthroat environment, but there's a lot of other environments that are cutthroat as well. And so to demonstrate that, hey, if we can do this, if this Jonathan Kaiser crazy person can do this in commercial real estate and prove that you don't have to be ruthless to win, maybe others will lean in, maybe other business leaders. So that's, you know, as my book hit number one on the Wall Street Journal list, and I'm, I'm asked to speak a lot and, and, and give keynotes and and help, you know, do workshops for, for organizations, teaching their leaders how to create a culture for themselves. What's become very evident to me is there's a there's a significant desire for organizations for this, both groundswell, right? Both the people demanding it, as well as leaders realizing that the old way of doing business is just no longer acceptable. I mean, I started this firm now 10 years ago. And at the time, some of the stuff I was saying was head scratching to people like, wait a minute, what? You're in commercial real estate. And you're using the word love and serve and all those things. Today, it's much more, you know, that the, the society has started to catch up, which is really exciting. It's really exciting to see the interest grow where people don't roll their eyes and say, mm, that's cool. Now it's like, wow, that's cool, right? It's a big difference in what people, in the, in the perception of it. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it, it, it starts within, you know, it, 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 it's a personal choice for people. So many leaders try to pretend, right, or do the things that look perceptually like they're selfless leaders, when in reality, they aren't. And so for me, it's exciting to lead a firm where every interaction, every client, you know, we only represent tenants or the users of space. So we eliminate the conflict of interest that comes with traditional commercial real estate firms. We're not trying to play both sides. We only play on the side of the corporate user. And in every interaction, you know, my commitment to every client is here's our 15 cooperating principles. This is what you can expect from our team. And if you don't get that, call me immediately and I will make sure that you do. So there's a high degree of accountability. And the hardest part for leaders is you actually have to be the change you want to see, right? Most leaders want all their people to become selfless but they want to retain their ability to be the good old fashioned blowhard. That doesn't work. You have to, you have to, you know, look yourself in the mirror and say, where am I not this and work on those. And that to me is the biggest impediment. And so part of what I try to do is show that, you know, it doesn't turn you into this soft little mousy figure. If you become selfless, it's like, I'm still a strong type A driven person that loves to negotiate, by the way, you know, loves doing the real estate negotiation. But people know that I'm coming at it from a place of love and serve and commitment. And I think that helps me do a better job, right? I think my clients know that I'm not just trying to make a commission like a lot of commercial real estate brokers. I actually care. I really want them to be successful. And I don't want to do anything on their behalf that does not put them in a better position than they were before they met me. And that that is a very unique paradigm for our industry. But I think it's one that more and more will not only be requested, but it'll be demanded. Mm-hmm. Well, and like you were named, right? You're a disruptor, but a disruptor in a way that needed to happen. And now it's almost like things are, you started this and now things are starting to catch up, right? Like you started this 10 years ago and and now these conversations are becoming more normal about culture. And, and now we have folks like April who her she exists, her company exists to help companies mm. with culture and to grow and improve. And we'll have her get into that. But now these conversations are normal. I just got back from a conference last week in San Francisco. It was a, a culture conference. And the way that the conference started was the gentleman started the conference because he, eight years ago, was looking for ways to improve company culture. And there was nothing out there. There was no events he could go to. And culture summit or anything that he could go to. So he finally said, well, crap, I'll just start it. And so he started it and it's called the Culture Summit. And now it's been bought out by by a big entertainment company and a big um, marketing company because they know that they need to grow it even further and share it with people. But 
that literally was the way that he started it because nobody was doing anything and nobody was bringing all these people into the room to have these conversations. And so now fast forward to this point, we can have a podcast all about it. We can have you guys in the room and, you know, Jonathan, you telling us about your story and how you started. And then April, you're going to tell us about you and what you're doing. And we can have these conversations and they're, they're more normal now. Right. And Jonathan, I would love to share a couple things on what you just said. Number one is I never want to be perceived as taking credit for starting this, this movement. It's very gracious of you. Um, But I am, I am one of many, right. From people like John Mackey, who wrote conscious capitalism to, you know, to so many others that have modeled this behavior in a quiet way, helping other people loving and serving. I didn't create that. I, I didn't come up with that concept, right. That's, truth that's been around for generations. My only question is, why is it not more prevalent in the world today in business? And my belief is because you ha- it hasn't been modeled enough by people who are willing to put it out there. The humility that comes along with selflessness typically uh, decreases the promotion of set efforts, right? But I think that there's, there's a need for it to be postulated out there for people to see that, oh, there's other people doing it. Because for me, I've never even heard of it. 20 years ago, I had never even heard of the concept. I didn't even know it was a possibility. And so if it wasn't for one brave soul getting up and talking about it, I wouldn't have caught on. So I think it's one of those beautiful things where it takes a village and this realization that, you know, I talk about this in my keynotes all the time. I believe that the old fashioned way of leadership is is not dying. I think it died five years ago. Anybody that's still operating in that paradigm is a dinosaur. But there are still so many people that do that, right? There's there's so many people that grew up that way that that's the only way that they know. And people have gotten really good at, at sort of whitewashing bad behavior. They, 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 they give the perception that their cultures are great. But when you dig underneath, it's just not true. Not that Kaiser's perfect, because we have our own problems, to be sure. But for us, it's very intentional. It guides how we hire. It guides how we fire. It guides how we manage. It guides it guides everything within our organization. And we're constantly kind of, that's due north. And we're constantly, you know, directionally moving that way. Yeah. For me, the most rewarding thing in, 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 in watching kind of the wave take on in the world is to see that this is taken more and more seriously, to see that people are leaning in, to, to have so much interest in you know, it, even think about when hiring a vendor, like, why wouldn't you make sure you're philosophically aligned with your vendor before you agree to pay them a bunch of money? Right? What What if there's a conflict? How, don't you want to know how they're going to react if there's a problem? Like all these things just become to me extraordinarily rational yeah. as you do business. And my dream is a world where people selflessly help each other, regardless of personal gain, understanding at a deep level that it's in their own personal best interest to do so. So I believe that selflessness, helping other people, is actually selfish. Because if you play the long game, I think it's in your own best interest long term to actually help other people. So rather than it being like this morality argument of like, just just help people because it's the right thing to do. It's like, well, everybody already knows that. And they're already doing that or they're not, right? So that's not like, wow, Jonathan, what a brilliant idea to help people. But what I'm saying is I believe that if you play the long game, even in arguably the most cutthroat industry in the world, I am proving every single day that you truly can get ahead, you can win, you can be successful without being that kind of corporate shark. And that's what I think is the most transformative opportunity in the world today. Yeah, I love that. We're getting carried away. April, we we need to hear from you too and and loop you into this crazy conversation of culture and selflessness and um, all of these things. So April, tell us a little bit about you your background, how you got to where you are. Um, I also want to hear about driven outcomes and what you're doing with that, but also the generosity culture. Um, Tell us a little bit about all of this stuff. Absolutely. So I think I'm pretty much the polar opposite of Jonathan. I came at this from the other way around. So growing up, I grew up in a very humble environment. We were very poor. I was raised by a single parent with substance abuse issues and started my first company when I was six years old. It was a short-lived company, but I thought that the best way that I could help would be to solve the financial challenges that we had. 
And when I was around nine years old, my mom went to rehab and a woman really changed the trajectory of my entire life and modeled for me what true generosity is because she was the head of the entire company for human resources. And she showed up in our home to tell me personally what was going to be happening with my mom reframed it for me so I could see it as an opportunity for our family instead of something bad happening. And then went another step more and offered to be my friend and mentor. And in that one moment, she demonstrated for me by modeling so effectively how much of a difference you can make in so many different lives by giving of yourself and pouring into others. And while I didn't realize what a watershed moment that was at nine years old, she continued to stay in my life. She's actually over 90 now, and she is still a good friend of mine. And modeled for me that the answer is always, how can I help? So I went into on military service and then went into the corporate world and just had a very different mindset from everyone from the get-go, which was, I just want to know how I can help. I want to know what I can do for this person and this client and these individuals. And what kept happening over and over was there were people in the room who were saying, oh, this wishy-washy business of helping people and being kind is not going to get anywhere. And then they would have their jaws drop when all of a sudden I would be the top salesperson in the nation or the world, depending on the company. And I didn't believe in always be closing. And I also didn't think that I had to ever worry about what was going to happen for me or anyone who embraced this ideal. Because the interesting thing is that it is something that you can do that makes such an incredible difference for others. But oh, by the way, it's also the most financially and career successful way that you can behave. And it's just as a byproduct, which is really incredible. And when I had those experiences in the corporate world, they led me to more and more just fortunate accidents, if you will, being recruited into a really early up startup and being able to help mold and shape the sales and the way that we did business with our clients so we could be so different in the industry, leading to a $7 billion IPO. And when we had all of that success, I thought, oh gosh, I want to work with more people. I want to work in more industries. I want to help folks understand how incredibly easy it is to be successful. It's really based on pouring into your people, your clients, and your community, which is how I ended up starting my company. I love that. And then tell us a little bit about the the company, both sides too. The um, the driven outcomes and then the generosity side too. Well, so they're they go together. So when I started driven outcomes, although I'd had a lot of success in sales, I'd also had a lot of success turning around failing organizations and profit centers within companies. And so what I wanted to do was to go out and help companies either scale very quickly if they were looking to grow, whether it would be to sell or to go public and also turn around companies that were failing. And I knew I could do it extremely quickly. And it was based on those principles of the generosity culture, which they sound incredibly simple when you say them, which is pouring into your people and your clients and your community. But the examples themselves are so powerful. And you'll probably think in your own life, some of the most incredible things you've done have been doing something very simple, consistently, and over a period of time and see these incredible results, which all of these companies have seen using the generosity culture, whether it's pouring into your people by really having these conversations and understanding who they are as individuals beyond what they produce for you, beyond what they do for the company and the bottom line. And when you really understand this, you're able to, one, really be there for them as a leader in the way that you really want to be there. So it feels more like a community within your company. And two, you can uncover rock stars, these hidden gems in companies. I've gone in and pulled someone who was in a low-level position but had high-level competency and moved them from an accounting clerk to a director of operations and had a company double in size in less than a year. 
So there are just really amazing things that you can do when you start looking at the people in your company and the people that you serve and simply asking, how can you help? And then the culture becomes one of, I'm not worried about what's going to happen for me because we are all looking out for each other. Yep. I love that. And I have to back up because in the very beginning, you said that you were the opposite of Jonathan. Mm -hmm. No, you're not because Mm -hmm. both of you have this focus and this passion on supporting and helping and being selfless and and doing it because it's the right thing. And, you know, you mentioned that sometimes it's referred to as wishy-washy. And But in the end, what both of you are doing, either Jonathan within your company or April within, you know, supporting other companies, what you're doing in the end is it's helping the people, it's helping the company, it's building revenue, it's, it's all tied in together with this conversation of culture too, right? Um, sure. I think I meant more that Jonathan said he had to go be ruthless and do business <laughs> yes. the bad way. And that led him here. <laughs> and I felt like I was guided here from a very young age. Yep. Yep. But he learned, Jonathan, you've, you've made that, that transition, that growth. And I love that both of you started your story by saying there was a person. There was one person, right? Jonathan, you watched a presentation. There was one gentleman that really clicked for you. And in April, you had one person that you were like, huh, she really was that that guiding individual. And I I love that you can identify that. And April, that you even still still know her. And she's, how old do you said a hundred? No, she's going to be 91 this year. I, like, I just jumped far ahead, but that's so cool. So with all of this, I, I want to back up a second because we throw out this word of culture, but it's it's still kind of a vague thing in moments of what really is culture. And, you know, Jonathan, you're part of conscious capitalism as I am. So it's one of the main four tenets that we talk about a lot with stakeholders and, and uh, tied with culture. And so I want to back up a second and just, if you can kind of put it in a nutshell <laughs> of when we talk about culture, within the company or April with helping other companies. What is that? What is culture? What does that include? What does that entail? Either well, one. who do you want to go first? Ooh, go for it, Jonathan. Right, okay. Go. <laughs> so, well, first of all, culture is a neutral term. Mm-hmm. So you could have a good culture or a bad culture. You could have a adversarial culture or a non-competitive culture. You could have a million different kinds of culture. So I do agree that people throw the word out, assuming that it means a positive helpful culture. But, you know, at the end of the day, culture is whatever you decide to be. And I, I believe that uh, a fish rots from the head. I believe that that the culture of the organization is a direct reflection of the leader, of the ultimate leader and the tone that she or he sets for the organization. Mm-hmm. And so if you notice in my story, we've created a, a coordinated 15 core operating principle driven culture. Right. So if you say, what is the Kaiser culture? I can tell you all of our 15 cooperating principles. But what it really boils down to is we love and serve people. So there's that that's kind of the underlying tone. And and what April said is brilliant because I couldn't agree more. Like it, it is the more that you help, the more that you serve, the more that you look for ways that you can add value, the better your people are the happier they are, the better they are in interactions with the clients. It's just a trickle-down effect, right? So, mm-hmm. But if you're a middle manager at a major firm and the leaders don't adhere to this philosophy, mm-hmm. I mean, you could do your best within, you know, create a culture, a subculture within your little department. But at the end of the day, there's going to be a constant friction between the overall culture driven by the leaders and what you're trying to create for your team. And, and that's what we see a lot. So, so my message is really to the top CEOs and the leaders saying, it starts with you. Because if you're not setting this tone and you're not living it, and that's what I said, what I was saying earlier with, you have to, as a leader, actually do this stuff. You actually, or the rubber meets the road, you have to do it. It's yeah. not just talk. And if you do, not that it's going to become easy for the rest of the organization, because it's still not, because everybody has to lean in, but it at least 
is something that enables the organization to have the space to do so versus expecting them to somehow behave differently than the leaders, which is what's happened for generations. Yeah, it's not do as I say, not as I do. If you have a child, you understand that doesn't work. You can model how you want your children to learn and behave, or you can talk about it and watch them act just like you. And the same thing happens to leaders. And I would say a definition of culture is culture is a company's personality. And I'll put it in a dating analogy. You can go on a date with someone who is a 10. And if their personality is terrible, it doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter what the rest of the world thinks they are. You don't want anything to do with them. Mm -hmm. And if you are asking, do I have a culture? Then you have a culture by default. And the scary thing about a culture by default is think about your workout plan by default. Think about your will by default. How do the other things in your life seem to pan out when you don't take time to be mindful and intentionally create one that you want and you're proud of. Yeah. And both of you kind of mentioned it in different ways, but the culture, it's it's going to happen whether you like it or not. So if you mm-hmm. be part of molding it in a positive way and have it be a positive culture, the moment you put people into a room, a culture is going to happen, whether it's the culture of this conversation, whether it's the culture of a a company, um, whether it's the culture of an event, anything like that, there's going to be a culture the moment you put people into a room. Mm -hmm. We're actually working with a company right now. When I started talking with the CEO about how to help and, you know, work on their culture, she said, oh, well, we don't have a culture. I said, well, you you do. Um, (laughs) You just don't know what it is. And that's what we're going to figure out. We're going to define that. Okay. So now we've heard a little bit of you know, culture and and just the variety of it, right? Like we were saying, there's there's a culture no matter what happens when you put people into a room. Both of you have worked in the space of working with leaders, not just at your company, right? Jonathan, with you, obviously you're growing an amazing culture at Kaiser, but you wrote your book, you're talking to other people about not being ruthless and, you know, being selfless and supporting your team and growing that good culture. And so I want to know, like, what are some of the big challenges that you've seen for leaders when it comes to implementing that good culture? Um, for And again, this is a question for both of you because you've got these different perspectives of, you know, April, you're working with companies really at the point of when they know they need your support for that culture. Jonathan, you're probably working more with companies, almost like peers that are looking at you for advice and guidance. So what do you see as some of those big challenges when companies and leaders are really trying to start to implement that good culture even more? I'll start with April. So I think what I encounter in some way, shape, or form with every leader is it is always a challenge of mindset. Whether that mindset is a scarcity mindset where someone has told them business is war and, you know, either they can win or you can win, but we can't all win in this together. Or it's a mindset of really not feeling like they're quite good enough, right? They have a little bit of imposter syndrome and they may not even be aware of it. But because of that, they don't want to be forthcoming and vulnerable with their team and share when they've made mistakes and create an environment where it's okay to make make a mistake. And oh, by the way, if it's not okay to make a mistake, you can't innovate because there is no innovating on a perfect path. It has got to be okay to iterate and to do things over time and to really expand the way that you do things by learning what does work and then having the contrast of what doesn't. So when I see a company that's really struggling with creating the kind of culture that they want, it is always in some way, shape, or form tied to the mindset of the CEO and their C-suite and how those folks interact with each other. And it's a great place to start modeling it and really help the entire company see that it is now safe to step into this culture because it's not going to be about a ping pong table, an espresso machine, and beer on Friday. It's going to be about, do we feel safe to grow together, to create together, and to make a company that we're all proud to say we work at and want to bring in other people we like, trust, and admire? Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that you said the, the thing about safety. 
right? That's huge to be able to be open, be your authentic self, and then also have the opportunity to disagree with others, right? You have to have that space to feel safe, that psychological safety in a workplace, um, especially when that is where we are majority of the day. <laughs> I'm, right. I'm at work. I'm working. I need to feel safe and secure and, and part of something um, when, I'm, when I'm working because it, it does take up majority of our time, right? Sure. Jonathan, do you encourage your, your team to disagree with you in front of the rest of the team in your organization? Very much so. I, it's, See, uh, beautiful. It's a critical part of our DNA. And when people see that, they know it's safe, Kendra. They, when it's something, because sometimes maybe you're fine with people disagreeing with you, but with Jonathan, you have a powerful personality. People like and respect you. When you're the leader, there's a level of deference that sometimes they can't get past. Mm-hmm. So you almost have to go behind closed doors with your people and say, hey, when you disagree with my idea, I need you to say it in front of everyone. I need everyone to know that's okay. And I need them to see me having strong ideas loosely held. I think this is a great idea until someone who's new to the company offers a totally different way of doing things that would be even better for us. Totally. Yeah, like, I love that you just used that analogy. So number one, and and, in everything that I say, just remember, in no way, shape, or form am I claiming perfection. This is all a journey for all of us, right? Absolutely. There are times when I'm a stubborn dude that just can't get out of my own way. That is unequivocally true. But for the most, most of the time, that's very, very true, April. It's, it's, I love it. I welcome it. We reward it. You know, we have a, we have an award that we give out at Kaiser called the courage to disagree. Right. And that's that tentative hand that goes up and says, um, (laughs) I don't agree with that. Right. Or, or what I like even better, because some of that could be directional about the company and less personal, although still highly, highly valuable. I like the calling me out when I'm not living up to the principles, because at the end of the day, that's where it really counts for me is people want to see my vulnerability. I have a guy that, that, that works at Kaiser that says the main reason he likes being there is because I'm unafraid to start meetings with here's where I screwed up. Right? Because mm-hmm. to me, that's the best learnings. And it reinforces that I'm being accountable about it, you know? And so, sure. human. There, there's a level of just humanity that just because you're the CEO and the founder of the company, like you said, you're none of us are perfect. We're all on this journey. We're growing. We're becoming better humans. And if you continue to pretend that you're that perfect person, that perfect CEO that never screws up, well, now that's everybody a- already knows that's a lie anyway. <laughs> right. So- right. It's just an artificial creation, like somehow. Because I got the power, I'm always right. It's like, no, 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 no. In fact, what we like to do is we like to celebrate it. So let me give you a quick example. So we had we had a um, a guy that wanted to work at our firm. And I had interviewed him and I loved him. I thought he was going to be great. Now, I'm a little bit of a bad interviewer because I love everyone. And so it's, <laughs> it's, like, it's like me saying I love them does not help the process very much because that's pretty much a given. There's been very few people that I didn't go, this person's amazing, right? Because I see the beauty and the humanity in everyone. But there's other people, fortunately, around me who are a little bit more critically minded when it comes to getting people aligned on the team. And so there was a couple people that had stood up strong and said, no, 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 this person is not us. And so I had to have the difficult discussion with them, letting them know that it wasn't going to work out. And at the next team meeting, I had all three of those individuals stand up and everybody gave him a round of applause. And I said, I don't know what's right or not. I don't know if I if my gut was right or their gut is right. I, only time will tell. But here's what I do know. These individuals cared enough about this culture to stand up for it, to put their foot down when they thought somebody might hurt it. And that to me is worth celebrating, right? That is what we're that is what we're all about, right? And to your point earlier. So April, what you said earlier, I love too. Like you use specifically words like a brand new person, right? Like I love the external perspective of a new person coming in instead of going like, shut up and just pay attention for a while and you'll figure it out. Like most people do, like you haven't earned the right to speak to me. No, 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 no. Sometimes the best perspectives are from someone who has no background in your company 
walks walking in and going, wait a minute, why are you doing this? You know, if you shut that mm-hmm. down, that you, you you miss an amazing opportunity. So I also think that 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 it all comes back to selfishness. It is selfish to listen to my people. It is selfish for me to listen to my people because it makes me understand the organization better, understand what they're saying better, identify better areas we can fix, figure out where I'm the problem, which is a lot. And so the more that I can get out of my own way and allow the organization to be brilliant, the better. But the only way you do that is by listening to that feedback. And the only way you get authentic feedback is by celebrating it, by not punishing it, right? And so that becomes the mantra. And we also have another one. So I talk about how these principles kind of work together to create the distinct Kaiser culture. Mm-hmm. One of them is we never punish mistakes. So if we don't punish mistakes and we have an opportunity for open collaborative conversation, then you can have conversations about process improvement, about what would have been better next time, lessons learned, what all of the things that are necessary for growth for all your people without it being this sort of, you know, punitive, scary, you got written up kind of nonsense. It's like, yes, we're not afraid to have authentic conversations, but we're not punishing. We're simply saying we hold ourselves to a higher standard and here's what we expect in the future, right? It's like, it's very, very simple. It's like, it's like, well done. You failed forward. Just make sure you're falling forward, not backwards. Yeah. But giving I like to, to oh, go ahead. No, go for it. I like to take this thought from the my military service because in special operations, which I wasn't in, but I worked very closely with them a lot in the role I had, there's always an AAR, an after action review. What went well? What went poorly? How would we do this differently? And one of the things that made me so grateful that I started my career in the service because of the kind of leadership that they exemplify is that if you make the right decision with the wrong information, you're not wrong. You're not punished, right? And there are a lot of times, even in business, if you're working in a fast-moving industry, you made the right decision with the information you had, but you didn't have the information you needed. So to the point that Jonathan made, not getting punished for that and understanding that next time we're going to make that choice with better information, we're going to do that another way, then everyone learns. Everyone gets better. And that creates that culture of us continuously improving and no one worried that they're going to get their head chopped off for doing the wrong thing. And April, I love that you bring that into the conversation about your experience in the military because I I love when I can read books and listen to podcasts from folks that are in, you know, ranking positions in, in the military because one, it's a culture of its own, right? It's going to be a different culture. Absolutely. Maybe not lovey-dovey, but you're you're gonna have your your folks that you're with side by side that your battle buddies, but the culture of leading from the top, the communication from the top down, bottom up, everybody knowing the plan, knowing what's going on, a lot of those things we can utilize in these other conversations. And so when it comes to culture, right, military has a culture. Construction industries have a culture. Education has a culture. It goes back to what we were saying. There's going to be a culture no matter what. It's just a matter of how you grow and how you work with it. So I love that you bring the military side into this because that's actually one of the podcasts I have in a couple of months is focusing some of these conversations on those industries and those fields. But I think there's so much we can learn from some of the structure in the military and those conversations and the communication, especially. And like your example that you gave too, I just love that. Jonathan was mentioning listening to new people. And I think that you bring up yet another example that I love that you do that in your organization at Kaiser, because a new person probably came maybe from the same industry, but maybe they came from another one and they have such a different viewpoint. And in my work, what is often the most powerful thing that I do isn't about me at all. 
the most powerful thing I do is share with them a best practice that someone does all the time in the in another industry. It's just table stakes for them. And it's revolutionary for someone else, which is why bringing that new blood and making it okay for them to talk and share their ideas can be incredibly powerful for an organization. And it sounds like, Jonathan, you're already leveraging that very well. Thank you. Yeah, it's... um it it is and it is a very intentional thing and i think i think another layer to add to that is you have to create a space for feedback because otherwise it won't naturally occur because everybody's so busy mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. at the end of our team meetings uh, almost always not always because sometimes i forget or we get over time but almost always i say okay you know what time it is where are we screwing up where 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 am i not living up to what you expect of me as your leader Where's the organization not delivering? It's it's like a it's like a free for all gripe session, but with people that want to hear it, you know that that so they don't have to go tell their their neighbor all their problems with their company like everybody else does. They have a they have a place for their voice to be heard, and then when you celebrate it when they do talk, then they start going, "Well, I'm not going to keep this in me. I'm going to say it right," and then they say it and they feel better. And half the time it's like half the time there's an explanation that is helpful to make them realize it's not exactly what they think. Because again, as leaders, we have perfect information about what we're doing because we're the ones doing it, but the rest of the organization doesn't. And so they see things through their lens. So you you used the word reframing earlier. I love to reframe things and say, I love that perspective. Thank you for that. Let me tell you what we were trying to do. And that, that makes me realize we need to do a better job of blank Half the time, it's just communication, right? Because they're mm-hmm. frustrated about things they don't understand because we're we're not effectively communicating about that topic. Or it's like, holy crap, I had no idea that was happening. Let's take this offline and I'm going to figure out how to fix it. And then we'll report back to the team kind of thing. So there's a lot of really cool. And sometimes it turns to this, like everybody going, yeah, me too. Right? Then you're like, whoa, we just hit a nerve. Let's Let's lean into this one, you know? And especially if you're consistent about that, right? Um, I'm I'm big on the C's, the communication, consistency, um, clarity. But if you are consistent with that, and then those new voices do come in, right? Those new employees do join. They're seeing that from day one as they're jumping in meetings with you. Like, wait, my boss just offered everyone to tell him what he's doing wrong. Like, but it opens up that window for day one there is that opportunity for that safety and conversation and that trust. I just watched a presentation by Jeff Diana, who's part of Calendly and another great company building a good culture. And and so often we talk about building trust in a company, but he says, no, it should start on day one. Day one, there should be, they trust their company. That's why they started. The company trusts them. That's why they brought them on board. And so having those conversations throughout all your meetings and having multiple opportunities, you're building that opportunity for trust within even the newbies, right? And I love that. So go for it. Feedback is the gift that keeps on giving. And I I think, Jonathan, it sounds like you're, you're really taking that to heart in your organization. And a gentleman by the name of Ryan Hartley, who focuses on heart-centered leadership. And he said today, he was mentioning, he did a one-on-one with his wife. And she gave him feedback on what he was doing well and what he could improve on. And it was the cutest thing I've ever seen. I really want to see it in the reverse. And I said, I love that feedback. He said, well, it's actually feed forward because I'm going to move forward in being a better husband now. I'd be nervous to do that. That's the toughest. That is, that when is, you're nervous, that's when you need to do it. It's like the leaders who say, I don't know what kind of culture we have, but you can tell they're scared because they know. They know. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to make sure we have time before we have to hop off to highlight anything else that the two of you are doing. I mean, this conversation, it's hard to cram everything into an hour about culture and what culture is and what you're doing within your company. So I want to give each of you the opportunity to let us know, like, what are you doing? What do you want the listeners to know that you're doing? Or if you have any tips or tricks or anything that you want to provide to our listeners if they're listening to this on their you know way to work and by the time they get out of their car they're like okay what is that one thing that Jonathan told me and that one thing that April told me that I can go into my office and do now 
I want to make sure we have a few minutes before we wrap up for that. So well, how about I share something and then I'll let April close because she's she's the expert here and I'm just the guy in the trenches. But I use the pandemic as an opportunity to realign my organization. And I don't think that's I think that's something that is easily said and very challenging to do. And I've gone through it myself now, so I know what it takes and it's not easy because this is the baby that you created. All the things that are right or wrong are a direct result of you and, you know, having to reinvent your organization because you see the need to do so is a big challenge. But I think a lot of people wasted the pandemic. And I don't, I don't think a lot of people utilize the opportunities the pandemic created to look at their organization. So I chose to look at it through a beginner's mind and say, knowing what I know today, not who would I keep, but who would I hire? Those are very different questions. And I also looked across our whole organization and I said, we're still doing things today that when I started the company 10 years ago, we were, were, were doing, right? Or is that still the best way to be doing it? And are, are we constantly reinventing ourselves? So we, we went through a dramatic transformation, making sure that, you know, as you grow really fast and you win all kinds of you know, accolades and awards and da, la, 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 la. Sometimes you get so caught up and busy just building that you don't take enough time to assess and reevaluate. Well, fortunately, the pandemic gave us that opportunity and we didn't squander it. So, you know, we, we came out of the pandemic meaningfully stronger with people that are much more aligned than we went into the pandemic with. And that was brutal. And I can understand why people don't want to do it. I can understand why people bring in outsiders to do turnarounds because it is painful when it's your own baby. But today, I guess the point of this is, is we started with the purest of intentions. Mm -hmm. And over time, things happen. Over time, the, even the best organizations get into ruts. Even the best organization start allowing people to continue in the seat that is the wrong person for that seat or said differently is the wrong, is no longer culturally aligned. So to take the difficult steps to realign that has infused fresh optimism, fresh excitement, fresh uh, unity. Into a, into a now 10-year-old organization feeling like a startup again to completely and utterly um, ensure that we're aligned. And so, you know, for those of you who are out there listening that, that you know, you're not in a startup, you're in an organization that's been around for a while, thinking about where you may need to do that same thing and do just a fresh uh, evaluation of where you are aligned and where you are not as it relates to your culture. Because I think what happens to a lot of organizations is they start with a great culture. I've seen it so many times. Everybody's excited. Everybody's, well, you know, everybody's just, we're going to change the world. And then three years go by and then five years go by and then eight years go by. Next thing you know, it's a job and you've kind of lost your enthusiasm for the mission. And You've allowed things to trickle in like we had allowed at Kaiser unknowingly that were undermining what we what we stood for. So I think there's I think there's an opportunity for a for a house cleaning every few years to just make sure that you, you're keeping the culture fresh because it's easy to kind of well, it's like boiling a frog. right? I hate that analogy because I feel bad for that dang frog. But like but like it's like you don't really notice it's happening until it's too late. And, and so it requires more, if you're doing it more frequently, I think it's less traumatic for the organization, if that makes sense. I like 100%. That. A culture house cleaning. Mm. I like that. April, what about you? What other last final tidbits do you want to share with us? So one, I love what Jonathan said. I think in a lot of cases, as a culture grows and a company becomes a little stale, who you fire actually becomes more important than who you hire. And it's not just about the company. It's about that individual. Because if you're having a bad experience of them, they're having a bad experience of you too. And so if we think of it as moving them on to where they can be successful, it's a kind gesture and a gift to both sides. 
And I, I love what we've talked about several times today, which is the best way that we can lead other people is if we first lead ourselves. And how I can help in that way, I do a very short form, 10 minute or less mindset podcast with just information that helps people get themselves into that mindset that is the best for them. It's winning mindset mastery. And it will help as a leader. It will help them as, as an individual, whether you're looking to create a culture for your entire organization from the C-suite or whether you're looking for the way that you can help lead from the back and make that culture more of what you want it to be and influence that way. I feel like that can be a great resource. And that's the takeaway is that someone might say, I can't change the culture of my company. No, but you can change the way that you act and interact within that culture. And you have no idea what an impact you as an individual can make. I love that. And we'll make sure that we live here on that one. That was good. Yeah. We'll make sure that we link your podcast in the notes for this write-up for this podcast as well so that people can find you. Um, I'm I'm a podcast junkie at this point. <laughs> Same. Um, I'm all about it. Um, so before we do hop off, if folks are listening and they're like, oh my gosh, I have to get a hold of Jonathan and I have to get a hold of April, how can they do that? Jonathan, if they want to get involved with you, Kaiser, anything like that. And you mentioned earlier that there is a a co-working space. So I feel like there's more conversations that need to happen. <laughs> How do they get in touch with you? Uh, JK at Kaiser.com, K-E-Y-S-E-R. I try to make my email address as simple as possible. So JK at Kaiser, K-E-Y-S-E-R.com. And the website is Kaiser.com. Whatever the need is, we, we like to think of ourselves as a free community concierge. We love to help people. So if there's any need, whether it's Hey, I got three years left on my office lease and we're not using it. So, you know, can you give me some advice to, hey, my mom is sick and I'm looking for a good doctor, whatever the case may be, if we can be of service, let us know. I love that. Thank you. And April, how do they get in touch with you? That is fantastic, Jonathan. Uh, website is drivenoutcomes.com. And although my last name is a doozy to spell, I'm the only one in the United States, maybe the world. So you can find me on LinkedIn or anywhere. And I'd like to echo what Jonathan says. I may not have doctor recommendations. I may have to send them to you, Jonathan, but I am always happy to help regardless of, of what that question's about. I love that. Those are my favorite emails, actually, that I get sometimes are like, and especially because my background is in animal behavior. So I am an animal nerd too. So I get a lot of random emails and um, questions about animal facts. So I'm all about the random. I love it. Yeah. I love love it. it. I love it. All right. Well, thank you both. I am so excited we had this conversation. We got to bring both of you into the conversation together. I think there's a lot of balance, a lot of synergy with the two of you. So thank you. I appreciate you guys taking time. And for everybody else on this podcast, we focus on everything surrounding businesses with a good company culture. Um, Culture Crush has vetted resources and partnerships where we bring in the right resources, we bring in the right partners, the right companies, so that we can help these other companies to learn either from examples, like from leaders like Jonathan, or from folks that have the, the company backing, and that's their job, like April, to be able to actually go and support. So please reach out with any questions, culturecrushbusiness.com. And again, thank you for everyone for listening. And we'll see you next time on the Culture Crush Business Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of Culture Crush, the only podcast out there that does a deep dive of companies that are crushing it with a great company culture. If you think your company has a strong culture that should be highlighted, please reach out to Kendra Maples on LinkedIn or email us at culturecrushpodcast at gmail.com.